really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. Big trust. Big trust. Big trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me. We're back on the Jumbo Set podcast. It is Wednesday, my dudes, February 28th, 2024. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined on my screen by Spen Has Sprung. How are we doing? Doing well. Played two rounds of golf last week. Look at you. One good, one bad. Very bad. Very, very bad yesterday. Putter has been literally and figuratively white hot. I one putted, I think, five times yesterday. Putter was on fire, so that felt good. Irons did not. Getting out, back into it. I'm ready for some warm weather. We didn't really, we, the, the, the winter that we have descended to in the greater Baltimore area is just, it's worse than I feel like being in like somewhere like Chicago or something where it's actually cold and it snows and there's fun snow, majestic. We just live in this mud town that's like 47 degrees for a month, two months, three months, four months, and I'm ready for it to be over. I'm really, this is the most I've ever been like, I, I need warm weather right now. Like, I don't, I don't ever want to be here anymore. I, I kind of want to move. It was, I was going to say, it wasn't that bad today. It was in, like, the 50s. I, I that's that's why I feel good, because I'm like, thank God. The last couple months have just been gross, and I, I need it. I need – I've been taking my vitamin D supplements. I real I need some real sunlight here. I'm, I'm ready. The combine is, like, my Groundhog Day, I feel like, where it's like – You emerge. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's, see, let's see where we're at here, so – Ready, ready for some spring, ready for some golf. Have a nice golf trip planned to Myrtle again, second year in a row. Excited for that. And yeah, golf, golf, golf. So it's all coming up here. What, what are you gaming putter-wise these days? I feel like I should remember. We only played like three weeks ago together. I have a Odyssey White Hot that I got for $50 in, uh, I think in South Carolina at some random, random, random course. It's probably like five, seven years old, something like that. It was just there for 50 bucks and I rented clubs there. It was actually the first round of golf I'd played in like a decade. And I hit, we did a best ball and I hit a walk-off putt on 18 to win 50 bucks and went back into the pro shop. I was like, how much for this? The guy was like 50 bucks. I was like, oh, well, you can just buy me this putter then. Bought me the putter and it's been treating me really well. You game in a, so is it a mallet or a blade? It is a, a blade. Oh, look at you. Very nice. I, I sunk a couple, actually, when we played at Fox Hollow. Um, then it kind of let me down when I played there again this past weekend. 92 could have easily been in the 80s. It's tough, tough scene. But that's okay. That's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about some Baltimore Ravens, and obviously we've got to open it up with Eric Tacosta just in the most relatable fashion possible, uh, addressing reporters today in Indy.
Now, I know you were telling me before we got going here that you're currently deep into how to win friends and influence people. So I know that that's kind of what you're riding on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, totally relatable. Definitely, you know, a little funny. I, I had to throw it in there for the humor factor. But it is like you mentioned the combine is your groundhog day. It's a nice reset, too, I think, from the emotions uh, of the end of a season, particularly the bitter way that a season like this past one ended. And it's a good reminder that, you know, you've got good people in charge, smart people in charge, adaptable people in charge. I think uh, EDC and co have proven themselves to be pretty adaptable. And it's always nice to get a little kind of peek behind the curtain at uh, how they approach their uh, their daily their daily lives. It certainly is. And speaking of the intelligent investor, which I have read, of course. Um, Value investing, I think, is is something that's funny and determining value. And I can guarantee that if EDC, if I were to ever interview him or, or just talk to him, I would say, have you, when you're saying you're talking to the scouts about things that they might not be interested in, I guarantee that means that he has had a conversation about determining value and the importance of determining value, uh, basically, which is that you want to avoid short-term boom in lieu of long-term sustainability. And I think that is what epitomizes the Ravens. So I'm, I'm going off, off of a limb here, but I feel like that is maybe the fundamental principle behind Eric DaCosta's analysis. If he's quoting Ben Graham, that's, that's his most well-known work, one of the most well-known works. So I uh, would really love to talk to him about that and determining the value of a player and determining the value of positions and fits and you know what is long-term success. And that brings me to the Ravens. Are, this is the first year without Joe Hortiz, who has obviously been hand-in-hand hand with EDC and obviously Ozzie for a long, long, long time. And that even brings me to things like Patrick Queen, who we remember they drafted in the first round, an inexperienced player that was not a team captain that kind of breaks away from what we have seen them do most year in and year out. And I always think of that quote of Joe Hortiz saying, yeah, we took him where we took him because we think he'd be a top 15 player if he stayed another year. And that was a two-year starter, you know, top 10 guy possibly. So uh, we look at Odafe Owe as another player that showed explosive, outstanding athleticism and Felt like the Ravens took him knowing that that wasn't going to be. And as a rookie, he really did make an impact, especially even in their uh, his his debut NFL game. He has a big sack. He might, he might have set too high a precedent in his first couple starts. I mean, he was like looking like a, a sack master there for a hot minute. And then he obviously had the forced fumble against Kansas City. Yeah, exactly. So looking at kind of those positions, where were those guys drafted? Right around where the Ravens are drafting. This is where they hope to be drafting because it means you were successful, and they certainly were. Uh, while many people still on the Bird app or the, the artist formerly known as the Bird app are still crying, but that's all right. Cry all you want. And that's where you have to look. And that's what I think is interesting about the Ravens' position in this. It's maybe kind of like the Orioles, right? The Orioles traded away a late first round pick because they're like, well, we have young talent and that pick isn't going to be someone that helps us immediately. And I think maybe, you know, the Ravens, everyone says, oh, they're going to trade back. Sure. Maybe they could takes two to tango, but also maybe you do take someone like a Zay Flowers where you expect them to come in and play fast, experienced, three-year starter, four-year starter, four-year contributor, something like that. So I think that's kind of where the Ravens are at. Uh, this is a fun combine, curious combine, some really thin positions, really thick positions, but 
that was a really interesting quote from EDC. I actually didn't even see that until you pulled it up. So I would love to ask him about the intelligent investor and determining value and that conversation because I think that'd be a fun one. Yeah, you just knew that was going to tickle my fancy. The second I saw that, I was just like a, a pigging shit there and I uh, had to make sure I clipped that one off. Uh, and then I obviously had to throw the Shane Gillis uh, getting into World War II history is early onset Republican. Uh, so I threw that under there as well for the uh, the keen eyes that, you know, could maybe take a look. But yeah, he had some interesting comments. Uh, I am pulling up our guy, Kevin. He had a nice little recap. I didn't get to listen to John's presser. I didn't get all the way through Eric's either. But that's a little succinct summary from courtesy of Kevin Ostriker. Uh, and DaCosta did confirm that Justin Matabike is going to be remaining in Baltimore one way or another. Uh, he's working closely with his agent to try to get a, uh, a deal done here before the deadline. But if it isn't, then he is going to be franchise tagged, uh, which is obviously a big point to hit on. They said that change will be coming in the running back room. You know, not committal one way or the other on Gus Edwards, I think, but it sounds like they would like to bring him back. Offensive line will be rebuilt. That's an interesting buzzword to me, rebuilt. Uh, it does sound like... Kevin Zeitler, they, they didn't really try to make much of an effort to re-sign him, so we'll see what happens with that. A couple of interesting names thrown out there. Lake and Tomlinson released by the Jets, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. could stay, good could go. Uh, shout out to the Clash. Uh, and then Ravens have a direction on offense that they want to go. So they've already got all this mapped out. Now is kind of the time to uh, put things in action. You know, moving and shaking it out there in Indy, getting out to St. Elmo's Fire or whatever that steakhouse is. Talk, uh, you know, talk to some heavy hitters around the league and maybe make some moves. Certainly is. And the vibe that I get from, and I love that you said buzzword rebuilt. And I think that does, and that in one singular word, that might be the most important of anything rebuilt, meaning that there will be acquisitions, there will be changes, there will be a new strategy or something modernized. Go ahead. What, what's correct? I'm sorry. Just the, the replies below Kevin's tweet. I didn't even see them when I pulled it up. But the first one is uh, from Colin at Reckless019. And we should hashtag fire John Harbaugh. I like the, uh, the throw the hashtag in there. I love the next one. Hanky Panky HC needs to go. So, you know, it looks like maybe we're moving on from this. Not everybody else is, but continue. I, I've been I've been like removed from kind of Ravens Twitter. I've been more in just like sports Twitter, and and I have kind of seen that still trickling out there. When I deleted the app after the uh, the AFC Championship loss, and I just gave myself that week, I'm pretty sure that was like the best week of my adult life. Probably, I need to do that more often. Not a bad idea. I've I've taken a little hiatus. I, I do my picks daily and stuff like that, but I've. I've got myself in a nice little algorithm. I'm not on there as much as I used to be. Like probably your spots. Yeah, you used to be like you used to be pretty active on there, but now you'll like you'll sign in at certain hours of the day. I'm like, oh, there's Spenny. He's 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 on the bird app. He's firing. I, I kind of do have my hours, and then I go like late night. Late night, I like to just consume in bed. I think I think I saw you actually last night tweet something really late and I didn't realize that you had just tweeted it and I liked yeah, it. You were definitely still like it was like 1 40 a.m. or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I couldn't sleep last night. So I, yeah, I was it was about, talking. it was about uh, Aubrey Plaza and John Waters. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza going to be in the, uh, going to be in the area here pretty soon. So I feel we're, like that's, we're, that's we're monitoring. Dream, dream girl list for you. I feel like she's pretty high up there. She's up there. I liked her on, um, I liked her on parks and rec. She was, I, I, <laughs> I didn't like her character on Legion. She was like designed to be unlikable, so well written, but she, you know, not, you know, wouldn't wouldn't really do it for me. But then White Lotus season two, that's when she uh she really reeled me in there. So she was in like Good Dirty me. Grandpa with Robert De Niro. She was actually hilarious in that too. <laughs> so it'll be a, a nice movie scene. There hasn't been much since House of Cards. Hasn't been a ton since since House of Cards dissolved here. So 
a nice little movie come back to Baltimore. Veep. Shout out to Veep, dude, in that episode with the Orioles. That was a good one. Veep had a couple. Veep was up here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I guess to bring it back in. Uh, yeah, rebuilt. That's where we were. Yeah. And rebuilding is, I think, the if I had to guess what the direction is, I think of of direction of the offense from that excerpt of DaCosta, more athletic, more like powerful and explosive, right? The running backs weren't. J.K. Dobbins was supposed to be, and I think that if he was healthy, we the, the Ravens might have. Oh, who even knows? Well, what he was for a quarter, dude. That touchdown against the Texans that was uh, that that got me fired up. Yeah, who knows what the Ravens would have looked like? I mean, they went freaking fourteen and three which still almost throws me for a loop still a couple years into this new schedule, but they would have been so explosive in comparison, but they just kind of lacked that. Right. I mean, Zay flowers is, but he's this mighty mouse. Uh, Mark Andrews, Mark Andrews is explosive. Isn't the, I don't think he's not explosive, but that's just not the word I would he's use. More like a, he's more like a vertical guy. Like he'll, he'll go above the rim and do, he's, he's okay after the catch. He's too. smooth. He's sudden and smooth, but he's not explosive necessarily. He used to be a little bit more explosive. I think Isaiah likely has some explosion to him a little bit, um, but you know, still kind of is, is in the tight end ish category. So it's not, you know, that crazy, but I'd, I'd throw him in there for sure. Bateman is smooth and sudden. Wouldn't say explosive. Odell Beckham. No. Uh, Justice Hill, eh, maybe a pinch. When he gets in the open field, he is, but it takes him a little while to rev the engine up. Yeah, he's not really this like power explosive. Like he he doesn't feel like a bomb. Like there's no bomb that goes off in the Ravens' offense. I think the only things we saw were maybe a little, likely a couple times, and and Zay Flowers there. And I think that also trickles into the offensive line. So I think that is how you can craft this team in Todd Munkin's vision. Is by getting guys that like love blood. Like you want some sharks on the offensive line. That's why we love John Simpson, right? Because the Ravens, as as low as his lows were, he would provide the the, the hammer and anvil at times to just put some sort of feeling into the offense, right? And with Ronnie Stanley, this trepidatious, careful play, Simpson would have kind of those, but it's never really in space. Linderbaum. Sure, throw him into the explosive word. Zeitler's older, kind of, you know, plays under his skis. Not really someone I would categorize explosive. And then Morgan Moses ends up with that peck injury and is much older. So you've got Lamar, you got Zay Flowers, you know, Bateman has shown flashes of that. We'll see if he can be healthy and do that. We talked about likely. Running back, explosive, needed. They need a tackle that can like run and hurt people and get out on screens and in space and move their feet and like go roll. And that's what Ronnie Stanley was. And that's why it sucks. But we've talked about that for 15 years at this point, Ronnie Stanley's not what he was. And that is what feels like is missing when you get into those playoff games where things are kind of plotting. And it's like Lamar has to be explosive seven seconds behind the line of scrimmage, making three guys miss so that guys kind of drift and come open all of a sudden. So I think that again is the way to take pressure off of him. Go find an explosive tackle. We'll talk about that in the combine. And then a veteran, a running back. I do that. People have been going crazy on Saquon Barkley. I don't how, know. How are you about this? They're, they're linked to every running back in the market. I think Ian Harditz uh, made a joke about that. And it's, you know, it's Barkley. It's Derrick Henry is the other big name. It's a little bit of Josh Jacobs, which I, you know, wouldn't hate that. Obviously we have the trade rumors and everything, but I don't know. How are you feeling about that? big ticket running back thing that's people really seem to seem to be espousing. I'm not that into it. Personally. I'm into it. If this is the thing, 
if they can block and be a natural, fluid, plus receiver out of the backfield, I think that is worthwhile in any offense. And people get into like the, the minutia of the price and the millions of dollars and this and that and that. Every offensive coordinator wants that. Every, could I have that as opposed to not have it? Yes. Then you get into, to go back to the intelligent investor determining value and then appropriately investing or spending in the case of, I hate the term investment in football. It's, it's only spending. You only get rid of resources uh, that are finite. So you only spend in that sense. And to me, Saquon Barkley is still insanely explosive, is a plus as a receiver. And I mean, is he a world-class, is he like a top five pass pro guy? No, but he's a vet and has that combination of experience plus explosiveness. And we just still haven't seen Lamar have someone that takes the pressure off. And I think that is needed, right? If you want to continue to phase him out of being a runner, especially in the regular season and in kind of, not to say meaningless games, but in games that he you don't want him to break his back over. I think having another player that kind of is usually on the field with him, I think that just helps chemistry, vision, adaptability, being able to make changes at the line of scrimmage. Lamar makes a call and the guy knows, and there's no question. He can be a plus in that sense that it's like, oh, Lamar says three words, the back knows. It's not unfamiliar. He doesn't have to go second guess it or think about what that player is going to do. So I really like the idea of Jacobs. I really like the idea of Barkley. And then again, you get into determining value and how much you should spend. Is there value to be had in that? And the value of that is, can you get more production or at least equal production to the amount of dollars you pay? We always talk about over the caps valuations of players, which which we do like. And it's interesting, but um, you know, nonetheless, you end up seeing Keaton Mitchell who, Hey, we're talking about explosive. That would have been nice in the playoffs. That would have been nice against the Chiefs. Those kinds of things, you know, oh, would they run the ball? Sure, that game got away from them. But they did have two, I guess, backs that did look explosive. And Dobbs and Mitchell, they both go away. So, I don't know. It just feels like another key cog that you can rely on would be very nice and um, things of that nature. But it's tough, you know. That, That decline does happen. Miles do add up. Backs do take a beating. And I don't know. Is it? a two year $18 million deal for Josh Jacobs, or is it, you know, a three year $40 million deal for Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley. And that's where you get into the weeds. And this free agent class of backs is looking like it's going to be Henry Eckler, Pollard, Barkley, Jacobs. There's more than that. There'll probably be some guys cut. So I don't know. I think you, try to go get one of those guys that is a third down back and then maybe draft one if you see value somewhere too. And um, it's been an issue. I mean, it has, I mean, for years, you you need somebody more explosive than Edwards, I think. And I love Gus, but it's like Gus is your second and two merchant. He's your third and one merchant and then, and your goal line merchant. And that's great. Like a lot of touchdowns from him, a lot of production, but it's like, if you need two yards, I'll get you a yard or two yards. But like, other than that, it, he's know. not a third down back either. And right. he's a nice player. He's a, he's a role player. Gus is a role player and he's a role player that had 13 touchdowns. Guess what? Jamal Williams had like fucking 300 last year. Yeah. It was a circumstance of the offense and like situational football. Um, and like you said, nice player. I'll, I'll always look back fondly on Gus Edwards, but I do think they should move on. 
Yeah. And I think like you talk about the, the finding yeah. value and like all that kind of stuff that he's talking about. Like, I do think you can find it at the margins. Like, I think you could find a guy that gets released or something like that, or maybe even like in the draft, if you want to get one of these mid round guys, pair him up with Hill uh, and just kind of and Keaton Mitchell, you know, mid season, whenever he's going to come back, hopefully uh, I'm honestly good with that. Cause like we talked about, and I really don't want to move off this point of like, just get a bamf at receiver, like get a guy who's going to go on the outside and wing jump balls and like be that above six foot dude that I think they're lacking a little bit. I really do want that to be the, uh, the key approach here as they, as they enter free agency, maybe you got to trade for a guy, whatever it is, but that would be my number one priority. And then like, if there are guys left over in the uh, second and third waves like that, uh, that's where I'd start to look and maybe guys will last. Like I think maybe teams are getting hip to this whole don't pay a running back thing. I, I it wouldn't surprise me if like, you know, Derek Henry's still sitting there in in April and, you know, unsigned. And, you know, if you got a little bit of money left over after a big ticket, uh, elsewhere, I, I'd be all for it. I think definitely it would be second, third wave if they were to sign a back. And again, like you mentioned, finding, I think the other thing here, and I'll always tie back to your, one, one of my favorite points you've ever made is the receiver bubble. I was looking at it earlier, someone tweeted, and I was just thinking about the guys and the experience and the production that are coming in here. It was Big Game Bengal, our boy. He said, I'm very interested to see the order of the wide receivers that go off the board. All but certain, Marvin Harrison Jr. is number one, despite what people have been saying. Don't really even care to get into that conversation. And We've he goes, already, Our draft season has already started. Neighbors yeah. slash Odunes is interesting. I lean neighbors. And then he said, and then what? Brian Thomas Jr., Keon Coleman, Adonai Mitchell, Troy Franklin, Lad McConkey, Roman Wilson, Xavier Worthy, Ricky Persaw, Jalen Polk, Malachi Corey, Jacob Cowing, Jermaine Burton, Malik Washington, Javon Baker, Jamari Thrash, Brent Rice, all amazing, guys. Amazing real estate along the coast here. Great financing options. Just sign on the dotted line. We'll figure out the rest later. Exactly. So tons of guys that should be, and I use this in a very relative sense, NFL productive. And I think, I think like, I don't know why I can't stop thinking. I have some weird thing with Demarcus Robinson in my brain. I think about him like on a weekly basis. I don't know why. He's your Roman empire. His name just always, yes, he is my sports Roman empire. His name just comes into my mind in like comparisons or relative thinking. I don't even know what it is, but I think of him as just kind of like the baseline of a, what I would define as a productive NFL, like a professional wide receiver. He's the a guy they found on the scrap heap who would not have been on the scrap heap 10 years ago. Yes. And that speaks yes. to the ball. He is, to me, he is the uh, result of growth in the NFL. And you look at him and you're like, that skill set. And it's not, he's not an otherworldly player. Like the Chiefs didn't like him that much. Like Chiefs fans hated him, whatever. But then he goes on the Rams, for instance, this year. And he's just like, looks like a pro, can fill in. He's like a wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar, I think, in this current iteration of him, fits that mold too. Right. There should be at least 10 guys, in my opinion, in this class that are Nelson Aguilar plus like a professional wide receiver. And I think it might be the thickest, most robust in terms of the minimum threshold to be a professional NFL wide receiver that plays and sticks around ever. And I think that continues to be in this conversation that we've talked about determining value. Again, trying to find surplus value using spending on a draft pick and spend instead of spending in free agency on a wide receiver or trading a pick and then paying, I think that continues and needs to continue to be the white whale. 
I think it does. I think in, in the conversation of value with Lamar Jackson on that big contract, if you can get another good rookie contract wide receiver, that will allow you to allocate money to your offensive line on veteran players that can come in and play quickly or to go pick up on some other aspects. Maybe you are more comfortable to kind of go the veteran back route for a couple of years, getting some one-year deals on guys that are reasonable, if you can hit on that. So really curious about that. I'll be keeping an eye on all these receivers, and I do think there's a good chance the Ravens end up, you know, walking away with their first or second round pick of it being another one of those guys. So really interested about this week in Indy, really interested to see what direction the Ravens go in, but I, I think I'm going to be fixated on that yet again. And I don't feel fatigued by it, because I uh, anymore because I think it's not like like to your point it's like they finally got it to a C level that was reasonable and now they can kind of pick their spots more so yeah right and I think it's just a natural evolution to your point with where league is going and it's good that they they did catch up and it's kind of been Eric's move from day one uh to your point about finding a guy in the draft like Ozzy just he would never ever ever do it like how many what did he pick two wide receivers in the first round overall maybe maybe three i don't know and just didn't really just didn't throw darts i mean it was what perriman and tory smith tory was the second round so i mean yeah i mean perriman two rounds mark clayton was the other one so three in the first two rounds over time yeah travis taylor you know 10th overall that's an investment there's Um, another one yeah yeah mark clayton and yeah brashad perriman and that's it i mean it's just it's even then like that wasn't good enough and especially in the 2010s considering they make up you know what there could be five or six of them on a 50-man roster you know it's 10 percent 10 percent of their picks in the first on day one and day two were not wide receivers with ozzy yeah it's crazy like and you know i I get it like you start out in a certain time in the mid 90s it wasn't as important but they just they didn't I, i feel like back then too and like not i didn't i don't like it still in hindsight but back then i feel like there was more of a jump from college receiver to nfl receiver than there is now the yeah. seven on seven, the evolution of the spread offense, the pass game, passing volume, all that stuff contribute to that. Yeah, of course. And, you know, Eric comes in, it's it's Marquise Brown and it's Miles Boykin within a couple picks of each other in 2019. And then Duvernay in 2020 and, you know, Prochet and all, all these other guys. You know, he's he really does seem committed to, uh, at the very least, fulfilling the position in the draft. And then this past year, you go out and you get Odell Beckham and maybe you overpay for him a little bit, but that's fine. That sets a baseline and that tells you, like, all right, we got that production, which was good. I think solid overall, and um, it, that's great. But like, we can probably find that even for a little bit less. So, if they want to go that route and still draft a guy, I'm fine. I do like the idea of, like I said, going and getting that big ticket option, like we talked about. But overall, you, you do have some options at your disposal, which is nice. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much where they're at on the offense. We don't have to belabor the wide receiver point. A couple interesting comments on the defense. We mentioned the Matabike thing. Obviously, we can get into that. Uh, and I don't know. Like, I think, like, overall, like, this is going to be, we're going to talk about the investment stuff a lot. This is going to be interesting to see how they approach this defense. Are they going to let it sort of develop and mature in its own way, not make some big investments because you're already built up the spine? A um, couple holes at edge rusher. Are you going to bring back bring back Clowney and Van Noy? Or are you going to let some young players on this roster continue to develop?
And so, yeah, there he is talking about Odafe Owe and kind of confirming the fact of what we all suspected uh, that, you know, they're not as hung up on a sack production. They like the pressures. They like the uh, production in other areas. And I know you've been big on the uh, Owe's a little underrated train. And I think he's really going to be a critical player on this roster for 2024. I think that he's an outstanding and I love the use of the word prospect. He is 25. We see 23, 24 year old first round edge picks. McDonald last year to the Jets. Will McDonald, I think he was 14th, 15th, 16th, somewhere in that range and was 24 years old. So OA was a project and is a developing player, but you do see it all coming together. Did suffer an injury that kind of derailed him a little bit, but just on a snap-to-snap basis, watching him on film, he always popped. Almost every game, he was making an impact. He was winning. He was beating his man. And sacks, we've gone into deep dives on and, and tangents and all of those things. They are one of the most overrated stats in many ways because they can be contextually garbage or high quality. And pressure does provide that more consistent level of disruption that is more stable over time like the costa mentions when there's consistently pressure there sack numbers will come so chuck smith i think did an incredible job with this front and maximizing clowny they had clowny cross chopping crazy well uh he's got another ball of clay and tavius robinson is a player i think that we'll see take a, a big uptick in snaps but oa to me again is the emphasis of long-term sustainability, long-term plan, drafting, knowing that a player is going to ascend and that they have the physical attributes. And another discrepancy I feel like we see between DaCosta and Newsom, the RAS numbers, the overall athletic testing profile of Ozzy's picks to DaCosta's picks, Ozzy would have years where it would be high, but he would also take a lot of shots on guys that didn't test well. And DaCosta's not doing that. The Ravens have transitioned to taking much better testers and I think within criteria, especially at a position like that, where if you go look at outside linebackers, pretty much all of the good ones have long arms. They jump 10 feet in the broad jump. They have a good three cone time, a good short shuttle if available. And their vertical jump is high. Vertical jump and broad jump are directly how explosive are you from a standing position? That is get-off. And to quote J.J. Watt, 80% of NFL sacks are a result of get-off. You have to beat your guy to their spot. So uh, I think that's imperative uh, in, in that context. And I think O.A., I think he's primed for a monster year. I'll throw him in the same way. We're going to talk about Justin Matabike here in a moment, but I'll throw him in that same category. You see it's all there. He just has to kind of parlay it all. It all has to come to fruition mentally being a little bit more aware, and if you want to talk about sacks specifically, of how to win and impact the quarterback, not just win. And I think we saw the plan with Matabike work 10 out of 10, 100 out of 10, couldn't have gone better in that sense. And I did even get to a point, I think last year maybe, uh, in the offseason where I was like, hey, I'm going to say that Justin Matabike isn't going to be a sack guy until he shows me. It looks like he knows how to win, but doesn't understand how to turn that into a sack. And that's all right, because he's still disruptive. That's still an impactful, good player to have. But he did. He made sure that the wins were in areas where he could still impact the quarterback. It's just one step. It's a one-step difference of ceiling or being able to get you know body position, a slightly tighter angle with one fewer step 
so that you can actually hit and sack the quarterback there. So I think that's the exact same route that Adafe Elway is on. And I, I think he does make a jump and it might not be, you know, freaking 10 straight games with a sack like Matt Abike, but I think we're going to see him have dominant games as an athlete that looks confident and has unbelievable skill sets that have come together in many ways. And I, I think just in McDonald's system, it wasn't, you know, an emphasis. You're always looking at Roquan Smith and those guys, but I think OA is absolutely primed to have a monster, monster year potentially. Yeah. And it's it overall, like it, it speaks to the idea that I hope they're ready to kind of just trust their development on defense a little bit and continue to fix the offense with the uh, resources they have available. Cause on defense, I mean, it's Matt Abike, to your point. It's Brandon Stevens. It's Geno Stone. It, you know, it's all these guys that have come up through the system and developed over the course of a couple of years. And it's not always like right off the bat, you know, Eric calls Geno Stone the best seventh round pick in team history. I, it would probably be pretty hard to dispute that. Um, it's just trusting your development on that side of the ball. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, like we're the Baltimore Ravens. We figure it out on defense. We've got the scheme. Hopefully Zach Orr is going to be able to make that transition pretty easily, but we've got the scheme. We trust our development. Shout out to the good doctor there who's who's gotten some great stuff out of the uh, the edge rushers uh, in his time here. And, you know, like overall, just to put a bow on all our points, I do hope that is kind of the approach is that they're ready to throw the resources that they have on hand as far as the cap and trade assets on the offense. And then on defense, we're going to continue to draft. And you don't want to totally issue defense, obviously, like, uh, you know, you, you have a, a Ronald Darby and a mullet and a Kyle Van Noy and a, and a clowny making huge, huge contributions to this team. I hope they're ready to add guys like that still. But overall, just, you know, be ready to spend the big ticket on the offense and then kind of trust yourself on the defensive side of the ball. Agreed. And I think it is, we can probably, we'll probably reach a little hyperbole and, and you make a great point. I think it's tough to quantify, especially without being in the building, luck plus system plus McDonald's impact versus maybe kind of Harbaugh. So you don't, like you said, you don't want to issue defense entirely. I mean, hey, is anybody going to be pissed if you're able to take a really strong, solid cornerback in the first round and that's where you go? I don't think so at all. And the Ravens have been privy to those late round defensive linemen. You know, Broderick Washington had a down year, but still got himself a second contract as a, a late pick there. So, uh, you know, throwing those darts still nonetheless. But uh, I, I do think that expecting signings to be as impactful off of, you know, I don't want to say the trash heap, but I mean, they bring Kyle Van Noy in for next to nothing after the season already starts. And he's just unbelievable. The availability of players like that is volatile and variable and being able to go get a clowny and a Van Noy for cheap late and have them stay healthy and have them play that well, probably highly unlikely, but to your point, they are the Baltimore Ravens and they do that frequently. And I think that has to probably do with Ozzie Newsom, if I had to guess, and yeah. his ability to scout defensive fronts and the way that he has organized this franchise and their DNA to do so. Like the blueprints are all there. It's 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 a master chef's book that the recipes are getting passed down. And I think Eric DaCosta has proven, you know, the ability to continue with that. I think John Harbaugh has a really strong understanding of that. So, you know, don't ignore entirely, but you also have some blue chip players on defense. So have to figure out that healthy mix of depth versus not using, not spending too many of your resources on that side of the football, seeing as, I don't know, offensively they're in a weird spot, feels like roster-wise. 
Yeah, it is. And there, there's going to be a lot to uh, a lot to resolve here. And they touched on it a little bit today. And we touched on it as well. And it's going to be interesting to watch, uh, you know, offseason really kicking off here. Uh, so that's pretty much all I got. Kind of ran through all our, uh, our talking points. Um, anything else before we uh, start to wrap this one up? Yeah, I'm curious what happens with Justin Matabike. Um, we had said, you know, through the vine, we've heard for quite some time he's not going anywhere. I just don't see... If you're willing to franchise tag him, I feel like you're willing to pay him an exuberant amount. I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the cap number being like 22 million. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, hey, let's let's figure this thing the hell out and free up some space for this coming year. It yeah. is just difficult because I don't the line, the spine of the defense in the too high and the spotlight of linebackers, interior defensive linemen and safeties right now is the highest and brightest it's been in years. It's, as long as we've been doing this together, this is the most kind of shine that the spine of the defense has gotten by far and away. So Matt BK has a strong case to get a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious. The Ravens have frequently hammered out those big deals, paying a lot of cash out early and then giving themselves a little bit more flexibility late. And I think that does make sense again, but I don't, it's just tough because that was, all of those deals were in a pre Lamar Jackson contract world. So do the Ravens change? Are they going to backload a deal? Is that not what Justin Matabike wants to do? Some of those questions, but I do think they get a deal worked out here. Um, I feel like the Ravens are in a pretty clean spot books wise. They could cut anyone, but Lamar Marlon Humphrey and Roquan Smith right now and be fine. Yeah. So the books are pretty clean. They don't have a lot of space, but they're not cap in a bad number, spot. Yeah, cap number just went up too. It's all relative, obviously, but it does give them a little bit of breathing room. So that's going to help. Uh, and yeah, really, it is just kind of taking these these next couple of days and weeks here to figure all that out. Free agency opens in what two weeks, three weeks. So yeah, I think they'll be ready. And I honestly, it really wouldn't shock me if Matabike is locked up by then, not by any sort of inside information. I just really think that they, A, want to keep him, and B, want a free space for this coming year. So whatever they got to do, I don't know. I expect it to happen. I feel like he's still an ascending player very much so, too. And that while maybe his, and again, sacks, or even what I'll point out, are a little overkill. Like, I don't know he's going to be a 10-sack player every year. It wouldn't shock me if he's a six-and-a-half-sack guy next year, but he's still making a really heavy impact. As an interior lineman, yeah, it's it's tough to expect that. It is, and, and the, the, I mean, if you if you pay him that way, and these are the the weird things, and and Cole and I are starting a little uh, podcast show on his YouTube to cover the draft and stuff, and these are just the weeds you get into. It's like, well, if you pay him, you expect him to use that money in ways to get better and make his body more ridiculous than it already is. And then maybe you're looking at him as like a defensive end. Maybe he's playing a lot more snaps out wide. He certainly has the athletic skill set too. And if you're going to pay him, you want him to be that type of guy. You want him to be somebody that works harder after getting paid. And I think that's, you know, what's what's tough in today's NFL. I mean, he was a third round pick. He wasn't a $30 million first con rookie contract guy. So uh, it seems like, you know, they think he's a very hard worker. They They love him and, he seemed in our brief experience with him, like he did really enjoy, you know, being around the city and 
all that stuff. And I'm sure you'd be happy to stay here if paid well. So curious about that very much. So kind of, I don't know. Ravens have been around, you know, 25 years, kind of an unprecedented player. I feel like in their history, I don't know that I can think of a player, especially at that position that is ascended like that and would be compensated like that. I mean, Haloti Nada's contracts were never out of this world. Very different players, very different skill sets, but not even really the same position. But I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious about that overall. I think he's a tough read as someone that's quieter, wasn't really talked about a ton outside of Peter King, love you, who uh, walking away. We love Peter King. Yeah, we had that interaction with him, what, five years ago? Yeah, something like told, that. Told him we were big fans, and he said, thanks, guys. Yeah. He just handed us, handed us an Allagash White and just walked away. <laughs> Talked about Robin Williams with a waiter. Unbelievable. Robin Williams died, killed himself. <laughs> Thought he would cry. Fucking Hall of Fame stuff, man. I think I had forgotten about that, that he retired. It's I, I fully forgot about it until someone started tweeting that out again. If it keeps on giving. Yeah, but Matabike, weird player, really good player. I'm probably, I was higher on him than anyone else, and I'm still very just curious to see what he turns into, what he's paid like. I really don't think they have him play on the franchise tag. That feels like a far cry. And I mean... There could be worse moves to be made than paying him a little bit too much, I think, than, yeah. than, than giving him a little bit too much of your cap percentage and things like that. He's, he's really unique, and you know, you, you don't want that shit to walk away. You don't want what he's doing on a football field, that rare of a skill set. I've said the Aaron Donald thing. You're, you're like, all right, I think we might have Aaron Donald here. He just had 10 straight games with a sack, and you pay him, and he turns into like an all right you know, pretty pro bowl player instead of an all pro player. You're like, ah, shit. You know, what were we going to do? Let him walk away. Probably not. So really curious on that one. I don't know. I, I it's hard to read the very, very hard read player contract. I don't know. It, it was so fast. How out of this world that, and the, the reports came out that he basically was like, no, I don't want to take that probably, you know, $40 million contract or whatever. I guess that's why they, which is weird. Cause they ended up paying Broderick maybe as a result of, Matabike declining, so that kind of showed that we they wanted someone to be here for a couple years. Roderick Washington contract is kind of weird in that sense, but I don't know. I'm very perplexed by this whole thing. I just want to see how it plays out. Five years from now, I can't wait to come back and see the result of whatever went down with Justin Matabike's contract. It feels, I don't know the right word. I was going to say precarious, but not quite it. You feel good about it, but it's unique. Yeah, it's it's a lot it's a lot happening in a very quick fashion to your point. So, yeah, we'll we'll see, you know, if they get him locked down, I think we both probably expect them to and if they don't, he will be here next year at the very least on a 22 million dollar cap charge, which I don't think, you know, is going to be good for anyone. So, let's get that deal done, Eric, while you, you know, maybe turn off that, you know, Dan Carlin or whatever you're listening to or whatever, you know, barbarians at the gate you're reading and go and uh, just go and get that deal done. Okay. Well, I guess that is it for all of us. A little bit of a shorter episode here. I got a, I, I got another hit scheduled with our guy, Kevin, the aforementioned Kevin Allstriker. So check that out. Uh, also on the Locked On Ravens podcast feed coming out today, I think. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. As always, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Gimme's Famous Seafood. Get your tailgoat tickets if you haven't already. Those things are probably selling like hotcakes. They might be sold out by now. Who knows? Thanks to, uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, you know. <laughs> 
you're, you're right. That was just, that was just a funny realization during an ad read. Yeah. It just kind of, you know, it dawns on me, but I, I don't know. Mike said that it's like, they're, they're usually available up until like the week or two weeks before. So, you know, check them out, see what you can find. Uh, maybe they'll be available in the uh, secondary market. I'd imagine the prices will be a little jacked up if that's the case. So be ready to uh, pay a pretty penny, but it's going to be worth it. Uh, shout out to them. Shout out to Black Eyed Susan Spices. Shout out to Fed Thrill Sunglasses. All our people very much appreciate all the support. Uh, and shout out to you, my friend. Thank you for hopping on here with me as uh, we are in an interesting time on the sports calendar with the combine, with free agency coming up, with baseball season approaching. It's a lot. So it's much appreciated. Much appreciate all your guys' support. And we will talk to you again very, very soon. See you. Arrivederci. Like really, really hard, and they execute the system, and that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. Trust. Big trust. Big trust. Big trust. trust. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> right on cue. Hey, right on cue. Hey, I, let me pull.